Hey guys, before we jump into today's episode, I wanted to let you know that doors are now open for our signature accelerator program. We are doing a major deal for this promo period where you get Critical Care Academy's CCRN review course absolutely for free as a bonus if you join us before May 4th. Our signature program is special because it's a one-time investment for lifetime access. There are no recurring fees. We want you to start this process early. So if you're in nursing school or if you are just starting the school search process, this is absolutely perfect for you. We walk you through picking schools, writing your resume, making sure you have all those boosters to make you stand out. We've got over 20 hours of video lessons along with an entire downloads vault of swipe files and templates. And of course, over 50% of the program is interview prep. We have five on-demand mock interviews. And then of course, a huge part of this is every month we have office hours where you can bring your questions and get answers. We have essay office hours with our expert developmental editor, Dr. Diane Katie. We have group mock interview practice labs, ad hoc guest speakers like SRNAs, and other faculty. It really is a comprehensive program. And once you are in, you are in for life. You can head to the CRNAclub.com to check it out. And again, the CCRN review course as a bonus that ends on May 4th. So if you are on the fence, shoot me a DM at the CRNA club. I am hanging out there, but otherwise let's jump into today's episode. Welcome to the CRNA Club Podcast, where we talk all things CRNA. As a practicing CRNA, I'm sharing everything I wish I knew when I was applying to CRNA school. I'm Sachi, your host and number one fan. Let's get started. Welcome to another episode of the CRNA Club Podcast. Today we have a special guest, Dr. Diane Katie. And Dr. Diane Katie is a developmental editor and writing coach specializing in academic storytelling. She has a PhD in English from Cornell University and is an award-winning professor, served as an editor on several journals and has helped many, many students get into some of the most competitive programs in the country across all fields of study. So welcome to the podcast, Dr. Katie. Thank you. Please call me Diane. Very nice to be here and thank you for having me. Yes, absolutely. So I gave a little bit of a brief introduction there, but I know you wear many hats and there is much (laughs) more to the story. So why don't you kick us off and tell us a little bit about your academic history and what you do today. As you mentioned, I I did my PhD at Cornell, and I was an English professor for 20 years. And in that capacity, you know, I did, of course, a number of things as we all do as academics, including really shepherding a lot of people, a lot of students through the admissions process. And I sat on a lot of national uh, and international fellowship committees. So I've seen a lot of personal essays and helped a lot of people write personal essays. And I actually am the first in my family to go to college. I'm the only person in my family to go to grad school. So I have just a, a particular passion for supporting graduate students and supporting those who want to become graduate students in the process. Because there isn't always, and this is why you know your program is so great, there isn't always a lot of explicit 
discussion and information about how to apply for graduate school generally or to specific programs. And so, you know, I really enjoy providing that support. And in fact, in 2020, I transitioned out of being a professor and now I'm working full-time as a developmental editor and as a coach. And again, with a lot of graduate students. Mm -hmm. Yes, and you help people and work with people who are applying to many different specialties and many different types of programs across the country. What are some of the types of people you've worked with and the types of programs that they've uh, oh, wow. like applied for? Well, a whole for? range. I mean, you know, many professional programs like, like your program where people have a lot of professional experience or are coming in. I've had a couple of clients who've gotten into the technology program at Stanford. It's a very competitive program. MBA programs at Wharton law school at Harvard, you know, and those are, you know, sort of professional programs. And then a lot of PhD students, PhDs in humanities, PhDs in history, philosophy, and then many clients also who have applied successfully to fine arts programs, social work programs, really quite a, quite a range. And although each is, is unique in its own sort of particularities, there are some common aspects to especially the personal essay. I think it's really fascinating and intriguing how you are able to, exactly how you said, adapt to all these different specialties. And I think when we're in nursing or a very particular field, we kind of feel like, oh, well, nobody's really going to understand what I'm trying to say. Or I just, how is this person going to be able to uh, kind of get a, help me get across my point when they're not in my particular field of study? And while I, th I think it helps to have people have an understanding of what you're trying to communicate, I will say that when you are editing students or applicants' essays, a lot of the work that you do is beyond just like the content of the essay. It's, I mean, it is the content of the essay, but it's, it, the way you can help people applies to any discipline. You don't have to necessarily have a very... Uh, in-depth knowledge of their field, your ability to help people with writing spans the gamut of different professional Absolutely. fields. Absolutely, and I think that's such a astute point because a lot of times it is about effective storytelling. And one of the things that I find is that often people will be very vague uh, in their personal essays also not very personal, but I can say more about that in a moment. But, you know, they'll use terms like I'm a team player or I'm sure in your field, I really care about patients. The problem with phrases like that, they're used so frequently that they sort of empty out of meaning. And one of the things that I recommend and sort of help people with is to think about effective storytelling so that you can show the reader, as my favorite uh, rhetorician Quintilian says, oculus mentis in the mind's eye. So you have to enable the reader to really see how it is that you are a team player, how it is that you care for, uh, for patients, et cetera. Because again, those phrases empty out of meaning, or in some cases they could mean different things for different readers. And going back to your point about specialty, sometimes interestingly, having somebody read your work who's not a specialist can be quite helpful. 
I, in my academic life, had a very, some would say, esoteric specialty, Chaucer. And uh, my best reader was a friend of mine who was a 19th century Americanist because he knew nothing about my field. And he would be like, Diane, there is a gap in logic here. So there's a way in which sometimes having somebody who's functioning as an interlocutor who is a bit outside of your field can actually be quite advantageous. I agree. Yes. And I, I do see that sort of issue, not problem, but, you know, I see that with a lot of essays where we're using the same phrases over and over again. I'm a, I'm a team player. I am a problem solver. I uh, have a passion for this particular group of people. And they, people like to kind of repeat these sentences over and over again, but exactly none of it sticks with the reader because they've read this a couple of times. And storytelling is a really big piece that I, I do want to get into. But before we dive into some tangible tips about how our listeners can start to formulate their essay, I want you to explain a little bit about why the essay is so important, if it is super important, if at all, and how that kind of sets an applicant up for success when you're pairing the essay with all your other assets, like your, your grades and your, you know, your CV, what role does the essay play? The essay is absolutely crucial because at a certain point in the process, everyone has laudatory recommendations, stellar test scores and grades, and really impressive in the case of, of this program, professional experience. I mean, and so Often the personal essay is the thing that differentiates you from another candidate. And it's that differentiation is so important because graduate schools want to know also what you are bringing to the table. What is it about you, your unique experiences, even your unique identities and positionalities that will not only make you a successful nurse, but in, the, in this case, but also a really wonderful asset for the cohort. And so that personal essay is absolutely crucial. And in fact, in many programs, they won't even look at the rest of your application if the essay does not sing. And so it's it's time really well spent to spend time on the essay. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And a couple of episodes ago, we had Dr. Rhea Tammerman, who is a faculty member, and she also stressed that point that now, especially with the transition of all CRNA programs to doctorate degrees, the essay is more important than ever. She recommended that students take you know three to six months before their deadline and start to work on this and have multiple people review it. And there are programs, I have heard this, that... Yes, they do not even re-look at your resume or the rest of your application packet if your essay is not impressive and sings like just you had said. So it is really important to start early because, as we'll get into, the essay really takes multiple iterations. So it really is worth taking <laughs> taking some time and planning ahead and just starting the process three to six months ahead of time. I can't stress that enough. But um, so... One issue I think we all face is we look at the prompt and sit there and we (laughs) stare at a blank Google Doc and we see the blinking cursor and we just get analysis paralysis and we just don't know how to start. How would you suggest one of our students listening today who has that essay prompt in their mind and who is dreading sitting down to write this essay, what should they do to just get started? 
Great question. I mean, I think the first thing is to acknowledge it is an iterative process. I personally think I'm a very talented writer, but I could not think of content, structure, organization, grammar, and syntax all at once. And I think that's what sometimes happens, is that instead of breaking it into parts, we try to do everything at once. So what I always recommend for beginning is thinking about the content, thinking about the ideas. And the exercise that I recommend is pretend that you are in a very slow elevator with the head of the committee. And this is easy exercise for me because I, I taught at a college with very slow elevators. What you have that elevator ride to tell this person about yourself, what makes you unique, what sets you apart, why you want to join this program. What is it that you would say? And that's a great exercise because it sort of cuts through a little bit of, of the, the chaff, so to speak, and gets right to the wheat, thinking about you know, some of the most important issues. And then the other thing that I also recommend, if you find yourself struggling sitting at the computer, get up from the computer. My favorite way to write is to take my iPhone. I live across the street from a very beautiful forest and I'll take my dogs and I take my phone and I'll talk into my phone. And that's a great strategy because many of us are much more fluent verbally than we are in writing. And again, this works if you accept that the first iteration is about content and not about fully formed you know, perfectly manicured sentences. And if you can do that, it's actually not a hard process to take that and then turn it into a more polished essay. But again, if we, we focus on, you know, oh my gosh, it could only be this many words, or, you know, I don't see how I can move from this to that, or where am I going to fit this in? If we focus on all of that at the beginning, that is what really, I think, exacerbates that paralysis at, at the computer. Uh, the other thought, too, is that if you don't want to do it you know, yourself, like through recording, it can really be helpful to have an interlocutor. It's very common for clients to come to me saying, Diane, I have not written a word. And I'm like, yay. I mean, that's actually really wonderful because we can start right from the beginning. And usually the very first thing we do is we get on a call like this together, and I will just kind of serve as you know, the secretary taking down ideas, asking follow-up questions, and helping with that generative process to get ideas down. And you would be surprised how quickly it then, you know, forms into, into an essay. It happens quite quickly. I think that's wonderful advice. And that's actually one of the tips that I use is whenever I go to write like a blog post or like write something, I actually open up a Google Doc, I use the talk to text function and I just start talking and it's just very fluid. It's very much a brain dump. I do not, that was some of the best advice you ever gave me was to just not play the writer and the editor at the same time because then you get frustrated, you get in your own head, you get annoyed and you don't you feel like you're spinning your wheels. Yeah. So if you just write, 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 and then you go back through and highlight, underline, bold, some key things that you said. It's a great place to start. It's really encouraging to hear that somebody can come and work with you when they haven't written a thing. And I think that probably saves them more time and more stress and more energy because you can kind of start 
down the right path from the get-go instead of taking this really convoluted way to get to where you want to be at the end of your essay. So that's really good to know for our listeners who may want to work with you in the future that they don't have to have anything done. They can have the prompt and they can maybe have some ideas in their head, but it's okay as long as we have enough time to, to work through all of that. Often it is an advantage because I don't know if, if your listeners are like this, but sometimes I get wedded to my prose or I can't step out of a piece of writing always easily and think to myself, okay, how could I approach this differently? I mean, of course I do that all the time with clients, but sometimes it's hard with your own work. And so having a chance to sort of just start from scratch can, can sometimes be very useful. Right, right. I agree. And so now that's that first step of kind of doing that brain dump, getting out our phone, talking on the recording. So now that we've had this kind of long, rambly, not polished file or document or audio file, what do you suggest the next step is? What can Mm -hmm. we do to extrapolate kind of what we need to? Well, the next, so the ideal essay is an organic essay. And what I mean by that is that we've all read those essays, or perhaps we've written them, where we have, here's my education, here's my professional experience, here's, you know, and it just feels like a series of discrete paragraphs. What often happens after the brain dump is that themes emerge, and those themes can then function as organizing principles. So, for example, Perhaps, you know, I, I was just working, it was uh, for with um, somebody who's becoming an oral surgeon, but she had all this very diverse experience working in these very different clinical settings. And in her case, uh, what we realized is that her working in these diverse settings enabled her to be incredibly flexible. Some of these settings were incredibly stressful and really to be a team player because she often came in at Laudem and, and had to, you know, sort of deal with the clinical situation that she found herself in. So that ended up becoming the organizing principle. So instead of saying, I worked here, then I worked here, then I worked here, we had a paragraph about her ability to work in diverse environments and a subsequent one about working in diverse communities. And then we had a paragraph about leadership and we had a paragraph about uh, flexibility and, you know, being able to work in stressful environments, incorporating all of that work experience into it. That is an ideal situation. And again, that often emerges where you start to see those themes. So if I'm working with clients after the dump, we usually will get together and I'm able to often recognize themes that maybe sometimes we don't recognize ourselves, but you can actually step out of your own essay on your, on your own and think to yourself, what is, is there any commonalities here? Are there any synergies in terms of my experiences or in terms of my perspectives that I could share and, and, and to think about? And then those then become organizing principles. At that step, then we often start thinking about putting the pieces together and the, the way you create an organic essay is not only through themes, but what I call bridge language. So instead of just being like, here's this paragraph about team work, here's a paragraph about flexibility, you start to think about like, how can I create some bridge language that connects the ideas uh, between those paragraphs? And again, that's an iterative process too. But many times we're very good writers, many of us are, and even if we're not, we're good at creating transitions. 
but a transition between paragraphs is not the same thing as a connection between ideas. And it's the connection that creates the, the, the kind of organic um, structure that we're looking for. Mm-hmm. All the qualities that you were describing that you uncovered with that oral surgeon you worked with, those are the types of qualities and characteristics that CRNA faculty and programs are trying to gauge when they're looking at your application. When they're sifting through your resume or your CV and then also your transcripts, they're able to deduce how you perform academically, what your clinical experience is like, how many years have you worked. But what they're not able to deduce necessarily, I think they can tell if you have leadership qualities by what you have on your resume, but they can't really gather if you have more of those interpersonal skills, those problem-solving, passion for a particular underserved population. So those are the types of things that really intrigue people and want to have them extend that interview invitation. Oh, wow, I really resonated this story here about this this particular applicant told. I really want to hear more about this in person. I feel like I know them as a person. I feel connected. And that is really what I've noticed when I'm reading different papers is whether or not there's a connection piece. And sometimes I just feel like they're listing off uh, things in their resume or CV and they're just kind of blanket statements. And other essays I read, I feel like, wow, I really kind of was drawn into that story. I want to know more. I want to meet this person. I'm intrigued. I get a sense of who they are. And really that emotion that we're trying to evoke is a human to human connection piece. And that is really what you're excellent at is helping us take our words and facts and statements that are all discombobulated and formulating that into more of a piece of art and something that will really draw the reader in Mm -hmm. a bit more. Mm -hmm. And I think that's such an important point too, because I think where I see people often struggle, often struggling is that they're afraid to make the personal essay personal. And I thought a lot about this over the years, why this would be the case. And I think I could understand, I can understand being first gen myself that I, sometimes I had a little bit of imposter syndrome. And so I was like, I felt like I must always seem professional. And I think in my mind, I thought professional meant just like kind of hands off, you know, a little bit keeping a distance between myself and the reader, you know, actually avoiding the kind of connection that you're talking about. But more and more, and particularly in a helping profession, connection is incredibly important. And and you're right. I mean, you can look at the CV and see, you know, sort of the ABCs, one, two, threes of what a person has done. But you have to really think of it as a process of translation, really. How do you translate that experience into the kinds of skills, the kinds of qualities that will make you successful in this profession? And so that's where, again, the thematics, I think, are helpful. Mm -hmm. And that is what many of the essay prompts for CRNA school entails. It's what qualities and characteristics do you have that would make you be, you know, what makes you think you'd be a good CRNA? The other one, a big one that you had uh, alluded to before that I see a lot is describe some, um, you know, trends or issues facing the profession and how you would address them. So really asking what kind of asset are you going to bring to the profession what is your problem-solving ability? What is your level of commitment to going above and beyond to make the CRNA profession stronger and better as a whole? 
And I think that's hard for applicants sometimes to do because they don't always know the ins and outs of the anesthesia world because they're not in it. And which is part of what I help people, you know, to get more knowledge about. But there, there are some underlying themes that they still need to portray of uh, being a leader, being somebody who is willing to educate the public about the profession, being somebody who's able to uh, work well uh, with other people, be politically active. So there are still a lot of qualities and characteristics, that personal connection that you were talking about, that still need to be portrayed. When, kind of tying this back to, to storytelling, when somebody has a good story in mind that they want to tell, do you find that there's a particular way to go about telling a story when it comes to including it in your personal essay? That's a good question. I don't think there's one way, but I think what you want to avoid, well, first of all, you have to think of the so what of the story. That is, you want to give the details that are needed in order for that so what to be evident, but not so much that you take up too much time and space. Because again, you have a discrete amount of time and space for the personal essay. So again, when I invite people to think about stories, I always say, just write the story down. And then, you know, we can think about what, where the kind of you know, germ of that story is and how, how to present it. But I would say that keeping the details, you know, somewhat to a minimum, but making sure that you, the essence of the story is articulated and that it's made clear to the reader. Sometimes as writers, you know, when I used to teach writing many years ago, I always talked about the quote run. Well, the writer will provide a quotation and then take off without explaining what the function of the quotation is. And it's kind of the same way sometimes with storytelling. You know, it's it's the telling of the story is important, but the most important part is making it clear to the reader what the story is telling. So if I am telling a story to show you that I am a compassionate caregiver or that I am a team player, Make sure that you connect the dots and don't leave it up to your reader to discern this. The other thing how we say about this, you don't know if your essay is the first essay being read that day or literally the 100th or 150th, perhaps. And so people read these quickly. So you don't want to create a situation where they have to go back to the beginning to understand something or where those connections are not made clear. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And adding on to that, if as people are reading multiple essays throughout the day, do you think that there is a very big importance on the very kind of first paragraph of the essay needing to be captivating or very clear about what they're about to get into? Because I would imagine that if sometimes if people are going through all these essays, if they're over maybe your first one or two paragraphs, they might just move on. So is yeah. there an importance of the beginning of the paper? I do think there's an importance. I mean, I don't know that it has to be like, you know, jazz hands or anything, you know, really. (laughs) But I mean, I I think it is, you know, a compelling beginning can be really good. Um, Going back to my example that I, I was giving about the oral surgeon, this person's first professional experience was actually working with an indigenous community and had a very particular story that really was quite riveting, but importantly, was very relevant to the themes that this 
applicant wanted to hit. So, you know, you don't want to create a, you, you want to make sure that if you do start with some kind of story, that the story is, it sort of encapsulates what it is that you're going to talk about. Um, but you can also have what I would call a more flat-footed beginning, you know, but, but what could be useful is, for example, if you have certain themes that you're going to be discussing, certain qualities or characteristics, you know, to have those indicated at the end of that first paragraph, it sort of provides a nice roadmap for the reader, uh, which is always useful, but particularly when they're reading quickly. So that is something that I do think can be very helpful. I like that. And, and I haven't taken a, a writing class in a long time, but I recall in writing, you know, history papers and things like that, that thesis was like the last, and correct me if I'm wrong, it's like the last sentence of that first paragraph, typically, if you're going to kind of list something like that, yeah. or where would you include, Yeah. like, say, for example, the themes of um, somebody's essay would be, I am you know, extremely politically active. I want to serve this particular, uh, I have a heart for this particular population and I want to be like, become a faculty member one day. And they would be a little more bridged together than that, but say there were those, those three points that they wanted to make throughout the paper. So you're saying include it in that beginning introductory paragraph to sort of anchor the reader on what's to come. Yes, I don't think you have to. And in some cases, you know, if it's not done well, you know, each essay is individual. So, but I do think just as a general comment, that can be an effective strategy. You know, I don't want to get too schematic because the, the other thing that's important is there's no one way to write the essay, which is why it's so important to do that inventory to figure out what it is that you want to express about, you know, about yourself, your motivations, why you're a great you know, candidate for this program. And that, by the way, is also very important. Programs want to think that you only want to go to their program or that you have very particular reasons for why you want to go to their program. So I could see a situation where, say, a certain program, a CRNA program, might allow you to work in a hospital setting with a population that you have personal and professional commitments to or something like that. Then, I mean, how you would open this might look different than another one where, you know, perhaps the emphasis is different. That's not to say to dissemble or to pretend that you're somebody you're not. Super important not to do that. But you do have to be prepared for having different versions of the personal statement depending on where you're applying. And I do think, of course, the prompts are all different, but I do think that that is important because sometimes it's so laborious to write one. We're like, I finished that. And then we think, oh no, do I have to, <laughs> you, know, you don't have to write from scratch. Nobody ever does. But modifications generally need to be made. And when they're made, it makes for a stronger essay. Absolutely. If somebody is a veteran and one of their clinical rotation sites is at a VA hospital, that's a very important piece to mention. Or for example, if somebody went to a uh, state professional meeting and met a program director from one particular school, they're going to want to really make sure that it comes across in their essay. Like, I was really inspired by Dr. So-and-so who I met at the AANA state meeting and talk a little bit about what they spoke about, you know, and really try to personalize it to that school. I absolutely agree. People can tell if it's a generic recycled essay because it won't feel compelling and it won't feel like they really know about the program. And that is something that is important to schools is to 
do you know why you want to come to this program? And they'll even ask that in some of their essay prompts, why this school? And even in the interviews, why this program? And you definitely have to be prepared to answer some of those questions. So typically when somebody is coming to, to work with you, or if you were giving advice to somebody who is sitting down to write their personal essay, how many iterations or how long of a process do you think this is? I just want to give people an idea of if they're thinking about their deadline coming up, when should they start to actually get serious about kind of starting this, you know, brain dump process and getting it in their mind that they need to get working on it? Well, I would say start as soon as you can. I mean, uh, you know, there's no disadvantage. I, I got into a program that had a thousand applicants and eight openings. You can imagine that the eight of us were not the only qualified people, but I think I spent close to nine months on my personal essay. I have a lot of clients who spend three to six months, the ones that have been the most successful. It doesn't mean that you, if you don't have, you know, that kind of time, you should just throw up your hands and surrender. There's a lot that can be accomplished even in a month. But I think if you wanted to set yourself up for the most success, I would definitely give yourself, you know, as much time as you can. In my experience, you know, if somebody's coming with a, a say, a foundation of an essay, it's not uncommon for us to take it through three, four, five drafts, depending on, you know, whether there is a part of that that's going to be repurposed. Does it need to be written, rewritten um, completely? Uh, some people, you know, come to me, you know, fresh. And, and even when, when you come without any, um, and by fresh, I just mean you know, without anything written, even if you do that, I mean, it still takes several iterations because, again, the organizing process is different from the generative process and, importantly, different from the proofreading process. You always want to do one final proofread because if you are moving things around, adding, subtracting, you're going to be introducing errors. And there's no benefit in doing proofing, editing of that nature, that kind of copy editing nature, if you're going to be changing things anyway. Yeah, I would say it's not uncommon four or five ex, you know, versions, and, and sometimes more, sometimes less. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And that final proofread is important, and you want to give yourself some time to step away from the paper as well. I know when I'm doing a lot of writing, I need to take a break for a couple of days and then come back and then I realize like, okay, this sounds totally awkward. And like, I completely missed this point here. Like your, your brain needs to refresh for a second. And I agree, even if somebody is coming to work with you or, you know, work with us a month before their essay is due, it's not a lost cause. There's still plenty of work that can be done. However, for everybody listening who has time, it is definitely very beneficial to start, yeah, three months at least before that deadline is due because people work, you know, nurses are working, they're working three 12 hour shifts. They're tired. They're studying for their GRE. They're trying to do all these other things. So you don't always feel like you're in the right mental state to sit down and work on it. And you want to give yourself some grace and some breathing room to, okay, I don't want to do it this week. And let me, next week will be better. So you want to give yourself some, some wiggle room there. Plus, so if I could just say one other thing about that, the other advantage too, is that even when you're not working on it, you'll still be working on it. That is, you're so much better off touching something every day for 10 minutes 
then I don't know about anyone else. I don't have these miraculous half days that are completely clear of everything that we all fantasize about with writing. Well, I'll do it on the weekend when I don't have to this, that, or whatever. That never happens. And even if it did, it's actually not the most effective way to write. The most effective way to write is, again, to, to touch it every day. And then you're going about your business during the day. And ideas, just they just emerge. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. I do. When I write the curriculum for our students or create slide decks or come up with workshops, I am finding more and more so to your point that it's taking me longer to work on it, but I'm more effective because I'm coming back and looking at it kind of with fresh eyes. And yes, a thought will pop up while I'm driving and I'll make, I'll make a little voice note to add that. And it's so true that yeah, sitting down in one sitting while it feels really productive, it's actually not my best work. It's nice to come back and, and have a lot of those touch points on it. So that's a really good point. I'm glad, I'm glad you brought that up because I, I couldn't really put a finger on it too. The other thing I've noticed is like to give yourself just some white space too. I noticed that a lot of my best ideas and things that I think about are whether, whether when I'm taking a shower or driving and it's because nothing's on the calendar, right? You're just, your mind's not having to multitask. You have to give your brain some breathing room to let the ideas kind of come to you. Yeah. Um, Recreation. I mean, there's creation in the word, right? Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's very true. So do you have any last pieces of advice for our listeners people who are feeling discouraged or like they're struggling and they just know they're not a good writer. They just are really kind of dreading sitting down and getting working on this. Well, I think my, my biggest piece of advice is this is not an easy piece of writing. I mean, this sounds like a discouraging piece of advice, not a good piece of advice, (laughs) but I, I will circle back to the encouragement part of it. What I mean is that I think sometimes we have fantasies that there are Good. I mean, I was a little bit this way with mathematics when I was growing up. There are good mathematicians and they're bad. There are people who are good at math. There are people who are bad at math. There are people who are good at languages and people who are bad languages. There are people who are good at writing, people who are bad at writing. That's simply, some people have more facility. But in terms of this particular piece of writing, it's a unique animal, if I could put it that way. It's a bizarre piece of writing. It's. I mean, nowhere else in your professional life are you going to have to write this kind of thing, unless maybe you applied for some fellowships or something like that. And so acknowledging that it's difficult is actually somewhat freeing because even for people who are very seasoned writers, it's still difficult. And I think that that enables us to get into a space of, I think, just productive creativity. And what I mean by that is sometimes our anxiety about what we think we should be doing or how the process should be going, it actually stymies our creativity. And creativity is such an important part of this process. So I think acknowledging that's difficult and it's difficult for everyone. And, you know, if you find yourself with that self-talk, I can't write, you know, just say, hey, this is difficult for everybody. You know, this is, I mean, it's difficult for me and I consider myself quite a seasoned writer. So I think that that's the important thing. And then if you have the time, if you've given yourself the time to break it up into the steps that we've sort of talked about in our conversation today, first step, generating ideas, doing that on your own 
or doing that with an interlocutor. And then going back and looking at what you have and thinking about thematically, what are the qualities and characteristics that are going to make you a successful CRNA? And then just start kind of storyboarding it almost. Like, what would you want to say first or second? Or say, you know, you have you know the theme of of working in diverse environments and flexibility, you realize, wait, there's a bridge here. This experience that I describe in this paragraph, it's also relevant to this paragraph. So I'm going to have those two conversations next to each other. And that's actually the fun part, when you can start to kind of take it apart and put it back together again and start thinking about it as an organic narrative. So I think that would be my recommendation. Yeah. That's a really valuable last bit of advice there. It's just to reinforce that it's, it's yes, get the ideas down on paper, extrapolate the points that you want to make. What is most important in that slow elevator? What are the, the three, four main points you want to make? And then what are the themes that emerge and how to connect it all? And uh, where are they tying together? I think that's really helpful advice. And I think that's a great place for people to start and just to remember that it's not effective to play the writer and editor at at the same time and looking at the syntax and looking for the punctuation, the APA formatting. It's, it's easy to squirrel all over the place, but just one thing at a time and take it step by step and give yourself, uh, take the pressure off and know that it is hard for everybody. Even, even for you, who's like you said, who's really truly an expert at this. So Thank you so much. If anybody listening, Dr. Katie is a wonderful resource for our students. She has helped our students with their personal essays. And one of our most recent students really had a lot of wonderful things to say about about you. So thank you for helping her. But definitely reach out. We will have Dr. Katie's information here. But she is just absolutely an asset that we are so excited to um, kind of be a part of our team. So thank you so much for helping our students. I know it's you have so much to share and so much wisdom to to give us in the arena of writing because I think as medical professionals we we're kind of like ah we don't do this we're like in the operating room we're in the we're nurses we're on the floor it's like writing is kind of uh not something that we're totally comfortable with however I will say with the DNP project now every SRNA every student CRNA is required to do a very big research project So one of the things that schools are looking very closely at is our ability to write on this personal essay. It is a showcase. It is a sneak peek of how well you will do in writing professionally because we want CRNAs out there who are going to be doing research, who are going to be able to contribute to the profession um, by really publishing these pieces of work that are going in journals, right? We want that for the CRNA profession. So it is more important than ever to be able to showcase your writing ability and your ability to communicate uh, effectively that way. So I highly encourage everybody listening to really take some time to work on their essay, work with Dr. Katie, get it right because it will pay off tenfold. So thank you, Dr. Katie, so much for coming on the podcast. Uh, I'm so excited. Yes. Um, and we will have to have you on again sometime to maybe talk about interviewing because I know oh. you help a lot of people prepare for interviewing as well. Absolutely. So, I'd be happy to. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye-bye.